Frank, oh my goodness, Donna, five is out. I feel like it's been out for a year, but again, time has no meaning. So like, maybe it's been out for 10 years. Maybe it's been out for five years. Either way, we know it's out now. And now is all that matters. So yes. Let me <laughs> Good, say that. Happy, happy .NET 5 day. Yes, happy .NET 5 day. But at the same time, Frank, we're recording this on November 10th, which is a pinnacle day because not only is it the Xbox Series X and Series S launch day, but Apple decided to make it another launch day by launching a brand new SoC, which by the way, Apple had one of the best illustrations and explanations of system on a chip that I've ever had. It's better than you, Frank. It's better than you. It was so good. I'm like, wow, I understand a system on a chip now. Like, thank you, Apple. But I all of that in .NET Conf, amazing. I'm just sorry. I just have to defend myself. How many graphic designers did they have? We are in audio medium, usually today. Oddly enough, we're on video, but uh, usually we are in audio medium. I can't have graphics. I can't have my presentation materials. I could have done that good. I'm just kidding. Oh my God, they're, they're, I feel like their presentations are like obnoxiously good now. Did you see the one where like a slide transitioned from the bottom floor to the top floor and it went onto the next screen and the camera yeah. shifted up? It's just like, okay, you're just showing off. Whatever production company they hired, and I still, I want to do my homework and find out who these people are. You're just showing off. Like, yeah. stop it. <laughs> That's all they're doing is they're just, they're basically just, just showing off nonstop, I would say. And, and I'm, I'm okay with it. Um, this was an exciting Apple event. This is an exciting .NET conf today. It's still going for two more days. I'm going to be on camera tomorrow. There's going to be, I don't know, there's a bunch of stuff going on. Um, let's just get into it. We're going to do a multi-pod series here. Um, we're going to do elongated with a sponsor break in between. But if you're using an application that has chapters, I'm going to put chapters. I'm going to do that for you. I'm putting chapters in. So let it be known now. I never, I don't usually don't put in chapters. You know why, Frank? Are, are you prepping me for a really long episode here? You don't put chapters in because our conversations are free flowing. They're like waves in the sea. You can't really distinguish them. Uh, I was just going to say because I was lazy, but yes, exactly. Oh, that too. Right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <sighs> always go with the artistic interpretation, dude. Never say the L word. <laughs> Uh, oh, I'm excited. Yeah, because uh, I, I was excited. I knew we were going to record today. I didn't know what we were going to record on because there was so much stuff going on. So I thought we would just do an epic episode, but I, I have no idea where we're going to go with this. I'm just hoping my internet connection stays on this time, honestly. That's very, very true. I will say this, though. Um, I think it's good to do a two-parter because the Apple event, I think we can cover relatively quick, but let's get into it. Um, Donet Conf was was this year. It's every year. It's like the 10th year anniversary of this thing. Started as MVC Conf and ASP.NET Conf. Now it's .NET Conf. And it's a virtual conference. They've been doing it for years. And by they, I mean Microsoft and the community together. Um, day one and day two are, are kind of like product team. And then there's another day and a half of community, 24-hour awesomeness. A bunch of people are presenting. I'm really stoked. The keynote I thought was fantastical. I was jazzed because... You got the Scots all together, the Scott Hunter, the Scott Hanselman, and the Scott Guthrie who brought out the, the first ASP.NET like architecture book like that he wrote to draft <laughs> what ASP.NET would be. Yeah, it, it was fun. And they were playing up the red shirt thing. They all mm -hmm. had red shirts on. It was all very cute. 
um the the design spec i i just kept growing like like oh gosh i bet you like because he, he would be reading through it and he'd be like "Ooh, or mm, glad we fixed that part um but then uh his retelling of the time when he first implemented asp i thought was really kind of inspirational and depressing at the same time the inspirational part was um it was kind of a glorious hack for a difficult problem and it was nice to know that i make lots of little hacks (laughs) and i never know like which ones are actually good and which ones will actually grow and he was talking exactly to those points where it's good to get that kind of demo out to prove the concept because ASP wasn't something that existed before. Of course, it was going to seem odd and weird at the time because, what, he was targeting non-JavaScript. Um, there was no .NET back then, so he was using the built-in Windows scripting runtime. It was crazy times. And it was just kind of inspiring to see that awesome hack turn into what it is today. The depressing part is the cycle just continues because like his description sounded like me working on we or like, or, you know, everyone working on blazer, you know, we just keep cycling over and over on these APIs. It truly is. I mean, especially when something's new and it's, you know, hasn't been done before. Of course, it's not like you're just adding a feature. It's something that is new. So it's, it's, it's actually been fun to watch blazer evolve in a way. Um, you know, they announced uh, blazer, um, WebAssembly pre-rendered, which is a really cool technology where you still have a server component and it pre-renders it on the server and sends it down and it still works offline. So the, the user's machine has to do a lot less and it's a smaller payload because it's pre-rendering as we use for live.net actually. Mm. Um, and there's, there's, sorry, I have to interject. We does that. And your website does that. Sorry. There you go. Right. Um, (laughs) so (laughs) it's good tech, right? But you can kind of see it slowly, gradually evolve from server only to server pre-render to, to web assembly to web assembly pre-render kind of like mixing and matching these technologies. I will say it gets a little complicated. I'm, um, especially when your mind's like, where is the code running? Remember when, Mm -hmm. remember when I, I had to ask Heather, like, I was building the ASP, like, where does the code run? Like, I don't understand. So, Especially in the Blazor world, I've done a few uh, Twitch streams with it. And there was one episode where every time an exception would throw, the browser would lock up. Mm. And you're like, which side is causing the problem? And then eventually you're so happy when you actually get an exception on the browser side. But then you're like, where did that exception come from? <laughs> where <laughs> you know, does wh- which live? world? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it really makes you question reality. But um, when all of it's working, gosh, it's so smooth and nice. It's it's worth those temperamental little moments. Yeah, we were doing the live.net website, live.net. That's L-I-V-E dot D-O-T dot net. Um, or when you go to the .net website, you can just click live TV up there. It's probably easier. But when we were developing that, it had gone through many stages. It went through uh, being a Razor page to being a Blazor server to being a WebAssembly to being a WebAssembly pre-rendered. And, you know, it doesn't have to do a lot of interaction with JavaScript, but mostly the countdown and then also um, figuring out like the local time zones and stuff and sorting. So like we just figured out a bug after a week or two, someone in, I think I, I figured it out because there was an event that was happening in India which again is like 12 and a half hours ahead. So like the server was sorting it on the UTC time and then locally 
it was only updating the timestamp to the local time and not regrouping them. So we had to like figure out that, which is like, oh, and now reorder them. Cause like, where is the code running? Where is the data coming from? Like, it's a good question. So. Yeah, it's, it's, you always think you have date time figured out and then someone schedules an event in India <laughs> or, uh, you know, the lesson I was always taught was uh, never use daytime, always use daytime offset because it's specifically about those groupings in the end. It, it has nothing to do with the logic or the data processing. It's all about UI at that point of putting mm-hmm. it into the kind of right place and grouping it with the right events and all that. How did we get onto the topic of uh, daytime here? I don't know. You know what I'm excited for, though, Frank? <laughs> number one new feature of .NET 5. Are you ready for it? I have a number one myself. So what do you got? I was watching um, Kathleen Dollard's session, and she was talking about, um, I forget who the, the the one engineer that was with her. Oh, I'm so sorry. H- Javier? Was it Javier? Maybe it been Javier. Anyways, they were talking about the new TFMs and supported operating systems inside of the CS Proj. And this brings me back to like, finally, we figured it out. Like Xamarin did it right forever, right? Like we, we did it, we did it right. But now it's, it's like so much even better. And what I mean by this is really when you think about it, there's two important points of compiling and targeting an operating system, which is I need to compile against the iOS 14 SDK, but I need to support iOS 10. And, and, and that's really complicated, right? Because what APIs do you expose? Do you only expose the iOS 14? Do you only expose the iOS 10? How is that done correctly? And as developers, Frank and I, we know for mobile development with Xamarin for a long time, you would basically do that. You would com- say, I want to compile against the latest SDK. And luckily, both iOS and Android support this sort of back compat saying, I want to go back there. And you would say, if, you know, do your operating system check version, then I can call this API. If not, I can't. But now you can literally in your target framework, say, I would like to support, you know, .NET 5.0-iOS 14. And then you can say supported, you know, iOS 10, right? And then the IntelliSense knows everything will give you warnings. It'll give you squigglies. And then on top of that, What's cool is they added a new um, API that says operating system dot is Windows dot is iOS. And you can pass in the version number. Finally, like we did it. It's like, you know, <laughs> it's in there. So, boom. Okay. That actually does sound pretty good. I can't believe you picked such a nerdy topic. Standard. Like, really <laughs> build, build targets. That's what we're going with here. But okay. Yes. You kind of won me over a little bit. Um I was thinking, yeah, like I, I run into that with .NET Core and the way I handle that is you do like a global JSON and that way you can kind of pick the SDK and that can be different from the thing that you're actually targeting. That's how you can get that difference. So it sounds like they're just kind of cleaning that up too. Am I able, Is it does it go very far back? Could I use the .NET 5 SDK to create .NET Core 2.1 or is that not allowed? No, this is more like I'm going to target Windows, right? I'm going to build a Windows thing, and then I am going to also support Windows 7. Okay. Uh, does it support multi-iOSing then, multi-platforming, multi-whatever you want to call it? Not multi-targeting then, or is it still called multi-targeting? I think it's multi-targeting, yeah. You should be able to bop, 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 bop in there, I think. 
Mm-hmm. Okay. I, don't, I, don't, I like they that. They didn't go that far. All I know is Emo told me that multi-targeting is like a key experience in .NET 5, .NET 6. So. Oh, boy. Okay. Yeah. And that that's actually kind of funny because I run into that stuff constantly. And it's not just old apps. Like iOS 14 just came out. And one of my apps uses a little bit of reflection. And it's a little bit of a, it doesn't really check itself. It's just like, goes, looks at whatever properties it can see, throws up whatever properties. And there's this annoying bug where um, if it's running on iOS 13, it uses reflection, sees that the API exists. So tries to call it through reflection. Operating system throws down the hammer and crashes the process because he tried to access um Worst case, it's not even a non-existent API. It's one that was private but became public. So that's why uh, like, they really shut down your process if you try to touch that API. So this version stuff matters. So I am, I'm, I am happy that it's getting taken really seriously. <laughs> yeah, give it a look. Give it a look. All right, what is your pit and your next pick? We'll just go back and forth, top picks. Okay, yeah, this is, this is fun. Um, I, I have to do the language one. I think we've already talked about it a little bit. Uh, C Sharp 9 records Mm -hmm. this is a big part of why i love f sharp honestly um the ability to and very few lines of code i know you can make the argument lines of code don't matter but it matters a little bit in very few lines of code you can create data objects data classes that are immutable this is very different from c sharp's normal default of creating mutable objects by default these are immutable by default Mm -hmm. and it's good to have that complement like you don't always want mutable objects for example the string object is not mutable for good reasons because code would be very complex if string was mutable so there are just times when you want to create immutable objects especially like if you're like me and you've been drinking the functional programming uh gin we'll call it yeah wine whatever and you just really love these things and i think that are a big part of creating um really robust software software that can run on multiple threads lots of good reasons to have immutable objects yeah i um just did a demo recently talking about c sharp 9 in one of my keynotes for the donna dev summit last week which is a community run event out of singapore and i sort of did a you know your normal kind of record demo, which is I have a person, a first name and a last name, and I can collapse it down and do all this stuff. And then I talk about override and like the new, um, instead of get set or get private set, you have get, um, in it, which is mm-hmm. basically private, you know, in it for yourself. So you can have a constructor. Now the thing about records that are cool is like you're saying is immutable and there's this new syntax where you could say, let's say you have a person, Frank, you could say Frank with basically, and you could um, I forget what the syntax is exactly, but basically you're creating a new instance of it, like a kind of a copy, right? I mean, it's, mm-hmm. it is a copy. It's a deep yeah. copy in a way. Shallow, shallow, shallow copy. copy. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. The neat thing is that it's not deep. That's why they're kind mm. of cheap because they are shallow. Mm. And if you think it kind of through that, because they're immutable, because they're shallow, you can reuse parts from other objects. And that's what kind of makes them so useful. So when you first talk about how functional programming works, where you're conceptually, semantically creating new objects constantly, that can be very wasteful. 
but this is a little trick in functional programming to reuse old objects and parts of old objects. And that's safe because they can't be modified. So it's just a nice, safe operation. So they give us beautiful, shallow copy. Oh, I've wanted shallow copy for a long time. Well, it's sort of like um, I was thinking about a few things that I saw in like continuous when I got to dev on it a little bit. But, um, you know, if you think of like undo technology, Imagine every single step is a blah, blah, blah. It's like a, you just have a dictionary of all these things and you forever have, and it's a state, right? It's like, it almost makes it very stateful to say, oh, what is the state of the editor right now? Well, it's index zero, it's index five. And it doesn't matter because it's like, this is the, the, the current representation of what the data is. Um, it's kind of similar to like an MVU style-esque. Yeah you know, way of thinking about it. And I thought that was really neat, um, just how it works in general and how you can easily create new copies and not have to worry about. I've had so many times in my code, I have these, you know, dot copy functions that do certain things. And I was like, oh, it's so annoying. Just like tweak one thing because I wanted a whole different instance of it. Yeah. You know? And then, then you don't have to worry about that anymore. And you never know when you write that function whether to do a deep copy or a shallow copy. You start to write it, and you write the shallow one. Then you're like, hmm, that collection. Should I be copying every element in that collection? And it's a conundrum because it's mutable, and you don't know what's safe and what's not safe. You have a big question mark over it. With immutable, you don't have that question mark anymore. Mm -hmm. No, it's safe to reuse it because it can't be edited. It's yeah. that simple. And I really love the duality that state by definition, is mutable data. That's It changes in time. That is the definition of state, data that changes in time. Um, but it turns out that the safest way to model that and use that is with immutable data and just swapping pointers. And so your state is just a pointer to an immutable object. Whenever you want to update the state, you just point to a new uh, object. And it, for multi-threading reasons, you can imagine why there are so many benefits to that simplicity. Yeah, I'm a fan. I'm a fan. I was uh, immediately going through a bunch of my code, seeing what I could update to records. And there's a bunch of other great C-Sharp 9 features which we did talk about, but I'm sure we'll talk about a little bit more. But my next one has to be the brand new, it doesn't actually really do with .NET 5, but with Visual Studio 16.8, which is the brand new XAML Hot Reload 2.0 that Maddie announced today. Oh, I saw this. I saw this. I, I, I have an interest in the Hot Reload uh family of products and so i'm always curious to see how these are going and wow it's looking good it's looking really good uh a feature i noticed that they called out was uh it'll update the ui without having to hit the save button and that was always one of my pet peeves i'm like yeah i don't want to hit the save button either so it's like yeah you go no save buttons it's true yeah so previously how at least for Xamarin forms and for i think for all of them i'm not really sure if uwp and wp ever different but basically with hot reload, what it would do is you would save the file and it would it would basically refresh your entire page. It would say, here's the new XAML, go. And that's a little complicated because it's going to throw away your state if you haven't set it up correctly, right? If if it doesn't really know about your code behind, so if you set in the code behind, it's going to work. But like, what about if you entered something on the page? Is your view model going to keep it? You know, if I just had an, ent an entry, it's, it's going to go away, right? It was one of those things that if you took a purist view towards XAML and did everything by the book, it worked perfectly. But 
you know, me, I don't do anything by the book, so it would always kind of fail for me. And I've seen you, you, you take exceptions by the book sometimes from the book. <laughs> I do. Yeah. I kind of you live your own life, I like to say. And um, yeah, so this is really cool. So there was a lot of productivity stuff. So the first thing that Maddie showed off was that it works with UWP um, with Xamarin Forms, which is cool. And all the adornment stuff work, all that stuff, which is really cool. The live visual tree works, which means you get to see a DOM representation of all the elements on your page. Kind of like F12, when you're on a developer page, you can see all the elements in the HTML. You can click on one and go to it. Exactly the same kind of like in the browser type of tools. Um, as you're typing, it will look for a valid XAML. Once it has valid XAML, it does. Um, it, it has like basically, I'm going to call it a DOM. It's basically a DOM, right? It has the DOM structure of the XAML and it knows how to add, remove, update each of those elements. So if you add an entry, it only just you know adds that inside of it. Um, and it's not going to modify the rest of your state of your application. So if you had an entry, you type in it, then you change something else, it's going to stay there. It doesn't, it's all good, basically. They added a color adornment, which is really cool for colors, um, which is rad. And then this works on iOS, Android, um, and Windows across the board. Just everything works great and it's there. And I've been using it for a while and I'm super impressed by it. it it's really, really good. I'm really excited for, you know, it just, I, you know, it's not officially called XAML Hot Reload 2.0, but I, I was working with Maddie and I go, we got to call it XAML Hot Reload 2.0. I mean, it's 2.0. It's truly like, like, there's like literally in the options, there's like version one, version two. And um, no one's going to call it applied changes. Like that's what it's, that's the developer term, applied changes. Um, I, I think she sold it as a 2.0 because what I heard her say was uh, we rewrote it from scratch. And that's when I was just kind of like, ooh. <laughs> hey, now, I was curious before. Now I'm a little scared. But okay, show me what you got. <laughs> well, I think luckily there was a lot of work already done for WPF and UWP. And it's bridging the gap. So all of them use the same exact technology, which is cool. And that's a runtime update, a framework update, and a tooling update to make it all happen. And it's exciting. So that was kind of my big one, but you know, she sold it that way. And then it was funny. I was watching Dimitri's session later and he goes, you know, I was like, when we got the new, you know, apply changes, uh, Maddie may have called it XAML Hot Reload 2.0. That's not the name of it. And I was like, yeah, it is the name of it. I was like, politics, on, politics. <laughs> Cause he's <laughs> the PM owner, I think now. So I was is like, come he, yeah. on. I'm like, it's, it, it's his responsibility. You know, yeah. he's got to defend the name. It's, it's his job. <laughs> That's I funny. think 2.0 sounds great. It's like, whoa, this is like, it's new, right? This is like new hotness. Yeah, and we're still on Web 2.0, right? Have we advanced to 3.0? No, we're still on 2.0. Web V next? I don't know. Ugh, don't say that. I hate right. V-next. I don't like V-next anymore. <laughs> no, I, I know. Everything's a V-next. I don't know. Even then, I, I use it all the time in like my app planning. Whenever there's a bug that I don't want to work on, I have V-next milestone that puppy. Yeah. What's your Web next fix. one, Frank? What you got? Okay, uh, I have to do another language one because I'm a language person and I'm really debating between the two, but I got to represent. So I'm just going to represent F sharp five. F sharp five is here. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So uh, this is a nice cleanup of the language. Uh, I hate to say it. Usually I like to brag about how C sharp's always stealing F sharp features. I think I did a little bit with the record stuff. Mm -hmm. I like I low level. I did low it. level. But in this case, F sharp's getting C sharp features. <laughs> So the big one, uh, fan favorite, is uh, the uh, interpolated strings where you can just put variables into strings. It's just good syntax. You know, the dollar sign, double quote kind of string you, thing. You didn't have that? 
Hey, we 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 had S printf. All right, yeah. it's good. S printf is pretty powerful. It's nice. But yeah, we we were kind of stuck in the the C level days of how uh, string formatting should go. So yeah, I, I mean, it's those little things, you know. You would think it's nice. It's nice. I'm just gonna say that. Plus, we also got um, uh, indexing. You know how it's a feature I I don't think you use very much, but I keep trying to force myself to use it. The crazy indexing that you can do on strings now with ranges oh, yeah. and reverse lookups and the dot dot notation. Mm-hmm. F-sharp has had a form of that pretty much since version 1.0, but uh, it wasn't as full-featured as the version that C-sharp got. That's maybe a bad way of saying it. It wants to be compatible because these are all .NET languages. They need to be able to talk to each other. So they cleaned up a lot of the scenarios with that stuff. You may not care about multi-array indexing, but it comes up in machine learning all the time, and it comes up in graphics work all the time. So I actually use it a lot. and Honestly, just for working with strings, it's just really nice because I've I've typed, you know, blah, blah, blah dot substring way too many times in my life. I don't need to write that anymore. Um, Yeah, I like that. I I watched Philip's session. He was going through all sorts of crazy F-sharp features, which is pretty cool. I need to rewatch it. But there's a lot of good questions. I remember I was I was watching the Twitch and the YouTube page and a lot of people were seeing the session and seeing F sharp, I think for the first time, it'd be like, what is this thing? What is this? What's going on here? And there's, I think there is still confusion of like, you know, when you should use or learn F sharp versus C sharp. And a lot of people had good, you know, compliments like, you know, C sharp, VB and F sharp, they can technically do anything in the .NET world. That's the, the hope and the dream. Um, we talk about C sharp often because it's the largest developer base, but that doesn't mean that VB and F sharp don't have their great, use cases. Um, and sometimes you just fall in love with the language and you're like, oh, I can also use it for X, Y, Z, right? I think often with functional programming, we think about um, things that are more reactive or things that are more uh, machine learning based or um, um, data analytics. Um, it's a really good uh, way of, of modeling that. But of course, you can blend these languages together. I think we don't talk about that enough of Hey, like here's a great use case of using F sharp. Here's why you should learn a little F sharp if you're a C sharp developer, right? Um, it's it's not a battle. I, I I was trying to not like censor people in the chats at the like, mod powers. Like it's not a battle, right? Yeah. Like it, it's it's hey, each of these languages serve a purpose, and sometimes you can blend them together and have great success. Or like if you like one, just use the one. Like there's no battles, right? There's not. It's not political, right? It's, it's, yeah. it's just a language. And it's not team sports. It's none of that stuff. This is just engineering preferences, economics. You know, there, there's, there's a lot of reasons for languages and that kind of stuff. Uh, part of the reason I fell in love with .NET was it's the CLR, the common language runtime. Mm-hmm. I wanted the ability to write programs in multiple languages. Like, that's simple. Like, I, I saw the advantages of different languages. And I just like to promote F sharp because I think it's one of the best programming languages ever created. Just going to put go. that out there. And yeah. that's at version five now. So rejoice. And I should also say uh, the way the whole .NET core ecosystem has come together with mono and everything, there are no downsides to using F sharp anymore. Like it used to be that like F sharp maybe would fall behind or it just wouldn't be able to keep mm-hmm. up with the runtime, little things like that. But now everything's shipping together. That's kind of what I love. You know, uh, 
F sharp five shipped with C sharp nine. Everyone's in sync. We're all hitting the same runtime. We know what's happening. And I just, I like that reliability. <laughs> I need reliability right now. <laughs> and, and I like it, right? I think you're right. One of the biggest um, things from today for .NET Conf as we're watching it is that, you know, we had updates to Visual Studio for Mac. We had updates for Visual Studio on Windows. You know, we had .NET releases across Mac, Linux, and Windows all on the same day. We got new language features for F-Sharp and, and C-Sharp, right? And VB there's too. Like, they're all, everything is there. And like, if you actually take a step back, that's kind of miraculous. <laughs> like, that's kind of crazy to think about that, that when we're talking about shipping Visual Studio, you're shipping like .NET, it's like, oh, you also shipped updates for WinForms, WPF, Xamarin, you know, Mac. Like, there's ASP.NET, right? Blade, like, all of these things came together in a singularity because we're .NET developers and we, you know, we can build all these things. I think that today is my, my final takeaway is like, it's all here and it's all really happening. Like, this is just the first step. But to me, as a .NET developer, I've just, again, I'm super excited about everything that's sort of happening. And also, also, by the way, last little tidbit here before we get into Apple Silicon is, <laughs> I don't know if you saw the the runtime. Did you see the runtime panel with like Rich and there's two other engineers that are like are really deep on the runtime? Like, no, now I'm upset. <sighs> I'm a runtime person. I love runtime stuff. Was it? It had to have been recorded, so I'll definitely just have to catch up with that. It's good, and um, they go real deep on stuff. So they totally lost me immediately. But they did. Rich did say that they are working on support for the new M1 chip that we'll talk about um, for .NET 5 to run natively on it, which is crazy. So we'll talk about that in a bit. But first, let's take a quick break and thank our amazing sponsor this week, Syncfusion. Listen, you know Syncfusion. You love Syncfusion because they make all of the amazing controls for your application so you don't have to. Whether you're building Xamarin applications, ASP.NET, core applications, .NET 5 applications, WinForms, WPF, and TypeScript, JavaScript, all the things. They have thousands of controls for your applications. Listen, I use Syncfusion in all of my applications personally. I love them. I can attest. I love it. They have a free community license too. Oh my goodness. It's so amazing. Go to syncfusion.com slash merge conflicts. Check out all of their amazing controls. Anything you're building, if you're getting into Blazor, they got all the controls for you too. Syncfusion.com slash merge conflict. Thanks to Syncfusion for sponsoring this week's pod. Thanks, Syncfusion. And I love their Blazor controls. That was the first thing I went to check out because Blazor is a little anemic when it comes to controls. So I was like, I need me some controls. <laughs> all right, Frank. So that was .NET Conf 2020. Any final words before we get on to the Apple event, which happened two hours after the start of .NET Conf? I'm overloaded. No, um, it, it, it's a big moment. I can't believe that we're only giving a half hour to .NET 5, but I'm sure we're just going to talk about it for the rest of the year. Also, because it's the new hotness. So don't worry, we'll dive deep. And I, I feel bad because I left off a bunch of features from F Sharp, but I can't believe the two I actually chose to pick. Anyway, let's move on to the Apple stuff. It's way more fun because silicon hardware, that stuff is great. And it's not Intel. How creepy is that? That's correct. Well, we both have an Apple DTK, and I am proud to announce that my Apple DTK, the developer transition kit, is officially dead, Frank. It never really, it never really had a chance to begin. But it refuses to turn on. It refuses to update. I've followed all the things. I opened a ticket with Apple and I said, Apple, 
I'm, give me a, my $500 back because this thing <laughs> did, does not work, but do not fear because there's new Apple Silicon here. Now, we talked about this before because the Apple Silicon is really exciting um, because Apple is creating a system on a chip for um, laptops and desktops machines. And this has a lot of implications that we'll talk about. But Apple came out and they announced a brand new chip, which they're calling the M1. I don't know what the M stands for. Micro. Mac. Mac, Mac one. That's what I took it as. Of course, it's the Mac one. It's the first processor for the new Mac. And there you go. This is uh, this is super cool. Uh, to be reductive, they are putting uh, AppKit and OS ten on an iPad, and it's kind of awesome. <laughs> and we've been looking forward to this basically all year. How long has it been since they announced this? Whatever. I've been looking forward to it for a while. Yeah, it's been it's been seven or eight months. I mean, we've we've had our DTKs for a while at this point. I mean, what is time, like you said? But the, did they announce it at WWDC, which would have been June? That seems too soon. Too, too soon. No, it was before. Okay, that, right? I don't know. I, no, let's, let's not talk about time. That that's a stupid subject. Uh, I'm I'm very sad that you're a bad caretaker and that you broke your DDK. I didn't do anything. Um, it's just sad here, Frank. I didn't do anything. I didn't even get to test anything. I reported tons of bugs. And then I went to, you know, here's the thing is I went to go update it to the newest Big Sur and all this stuff. And then it like refused and I didn't want to do it. And then I installed the profiles. And I put it in recovery mode. I was like, no, no, no. And then I was like, oh, you know what? Today I'm going to, I'm just going to do recovery fully, which means I have to take my MacBook from 2013, update it to the latest Big Sur, which is like a big undertaking because this MacBook from seven years ago should not be running Big Sur. That's inappropriate. Um, so I update that because it has to be running the same version. Install random Xcode beta install some random tool that Apple has from the, the store that looks terrible, and then turn on my Mac into recovery mode, plug my MacBook Pro into my Mac Mini that's running the DTK, and it should show up, but nope, it refuses. It, it only turns on 1% of the time, and when it does, nothing comes out of the HDMI, so I can't even see what's going on, and it just constantly like turns on the light for a minute and then turns off the light and then turns the light back on. I, I don't know. I'm puzzled. I mean, it's a DTK. It's not representative of the final product. Obviously not running the same chips. (laughs) However, I did look at uh, the shots because part of the announcement was not only that they make a new processor, they put computers around it also to make Mm -hmm. it easier to use that processor. What? I know. What? (laughs) What do you mean? (laughs) (laughs) And uh, one of those metal frames they put it in those gorgeous renders that they were doing um, was the Mac Mini. So the Mac Mini is back. That's actually the form factor we got in the DDK. And I was curious if it was going to be very different from the DDK, but at least the back panel looks pretty identical. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. I don't know what kind of chip we actually got in our hardware so it's hard to i don't want to look at performance numbers or anything on there but oh boy did apple want to talk about performance numbers though because (laughs) it's the fastest thing since the fastest thing that you ever heard and everything else is slow and terrible and our thing is the greatest thing since sliced bread they kept saying you know 3x faster 2x faster 10x faster and uh i was doing my thesis defense this is where you get in front of a bunch of teachers, you tell them what you did, blah, 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 and then they harass you for an hour. And one of the ones that always came up with is you can't say faster than without saying what the van is, <laughs> the reference that you're <laughs> referencing. And they would do that, but every so often they would come up and say, uh, 
two times faster than the best-selling PC laptop in this power class, you know, <laughs> asterisk, hashtag, hashtag. But uh, it was it was all fun. Um, just as a technologist, as an engineering person, yes, as an Apple fanboy, but it's new tech. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a little bit scary because I really got into Apple I was always, I I looked upon it from a distance, but I really got into it when they transitioned over to Intel Mm -hmm. because I was such a Microsoft Windows person that I didn't want to give up my Microsoft Windows. And I was even a Linux person. I wanted to be able to run all that kind of stuff. And so I really got into Macs when they switched to Intel. So it's a little bit nervous for me, if I'm a little bit honest, to like, are we ready? Have we grown this far to break away from Papa Intel? Yeah. We'll see. (laughs) It is very fascinating. I will say that, that finally they did do this really good description that I mentioned earlier in the pod of, of a system on a chip. And I got to, let me see if I can break this down. Right. Okay. So in a normal PC, there is uh, a board and chipset and things are all separate, right? There's like uh, the, the CPU, there's the IO, the GPU is obviously separate. Um, there's security things and they're all separate. And this, this, this is how they've been built forever. But the problem that they have here is that, is that all of those little bits all have to communicate to each other and often have to swap memory and bits around. So they're kind of copying data around, have to move it around. And what Apple really described with their beautiful graphics of system on a chip is they said, well, what if, you know, what a system on a chip does and this architecture takes, instead of having all these bits that are all separated out, it brings them all cohesively into a nice coupling that they can all access the same shared data. And like that actually, I was like, oh, that makes sense. Like, okay, now I actually understand the core architectural difference between an SOC and like the, the x86 machines that we have today. And that sort of finally, I was like, oh, light bulb. (laughs) Yeah. Um, nothing like a good diagram, huh? Uh, it's, it's even better than that. Um, Sure, it's good to get these things um, on the same kind of memory bus and all that. That was a nice simplification. But with a system on chip, you're actually trying to get it all onto the same die, like Mm. the same silicon. One of the big barriers in a PC is you have to go from silicon transistors to gold to badly soldered gold around a motherboard, through a maze, up the river, down the creek into the RAM, through another gold bridge, back into silicon, and then do that round trip again. Yeah. And every time you you, you change materials, you're going to get reflections. Uh, these computers are running at radio frequency speeds. Two gigahertz, three gigahertz, that's, that's electromagnetic spectrum. That is, you can't see that. Those are radio frequencies. This is not real. In some ways, it's not real, (laughs) period, (laughs) false disclosure. So every time you hit a material transition, you have weird reflections and weird things that you have to account for. So that is the big reason everyone's moving to consolidate. It's one of the original reasons we came up with ICs, integrated circuits, in the first place. We recognized in order to get speed up, power up, we can't be going across metal bridges <laughs> across these like long, infinitely mile long runways. We have to get things close together. And this is in some ways a natural progression, but also a step forward because it's one of those good, good, big steps, <laughs> not a little step. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I think um, they really describe like the benefits of it. I think the the fascinating part is these diagrams were so important because I flipped over to YouTube because this was one of the first times that I've 
seen at least. I flipped over to YouTube and they were broadcasting on YouTube and on the Apple event page. And they had 900,000 people watching on YouTube alone. 900,000. I did not know that. These that are all these creepy numbers. And these are all not developers, right? So imagine you're going and talking to, to someone and you're like, well, why is this so important? Because the entire event was split in to two sections, M1, and then here's the new devices that have M1. But like for the avid consumer, nobody cares that it's an M1 chip. Like nobody, nobody cares. Like nobody cares, Frank. Like how am I going to go to my my dad and be like, oh, you know, you should really get this new Apple because it has an M1 system on a chip arm processor. He's going to be like, can I get to like Fox News or something like that? You know what I mean? Like, like that's what he's going to want, right? I mean, just saying. But it's brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant because think of the alternative. Imagine if Rosetta 2 wasn't good because sure. then the answer is how will they know they have an M1? They'll know they have an M1 when no software runs on it. True. Because everything True. for Mac is compiled for Intel 64-bit right now. It's been that way for a long time. The brilliant move by Apple is not only did they build a high-performance chip, they put the effort into software to write an emulation layer so that they could run Intel code. Uh, yeah, and I'm not even going to touch the Fox News quote. <laughs> yeah, not me. I'm just saying, you know, we have fathers and grandfathers and mothers and grandmothers. I'm just saying, you know. Yeah. I will say, though, Fox News did make a very controversial call. They didn't get it wrong. So just saying. Um, well, so they were promoting lots of cores. Look at me. I'm just moving on. Um, <laughs> lots of cores, James. Cores everywhere. So we got uh, high-speed cores, low-speed cores. These are classic things from um, the iPad and the iPhone. I've had these for a little while now. But we're getting these neural engine cores. And Apple, again, is taunting me because they keep saying that they're going to update TensorFlow, which is you know one of the big machine learning libraries out there. TensorFlow does not run great on Macs. I'm just going to put it that way. Um, it actually runs pretty terribly on Macs. So I am thrilled if Apple is truly uh, getting TensorFlow running very quickly on these Macs. But I'm also a little bit nervous because they keep promising me that they're going to get TensorFlow running well on Macs and it keeps not happening. But uh, this is such a big change for them. I feel like uh, they and it's such a showcase for them because they keep promoting this neural network engine, this uh, core is dedicated to this matrix multiply, basically, is all it's doing, that I think that they really are going to put the effort into it. And I'm excited for that, that they're putting so much promotional effort into it. Yeah, and they really talked about three key aspects, and one of them to the machine learning aspect of it. But the, the first one they talked about was universal apps. Like, what does this mean for developers? Uh, good diagrams, beautiful graphics. They're like, hey, apps to today are compiled against x86, you know, 64-bit for Intel, you can become a universal app and you'll compile it twice into one bundle. The person will get it correct. I was like, great description. And then they said, well, we also have the ability um, to run every single application, even if it hasn't been recompiled, which is Rosetta 2, which is the sequel because like you said, PowerPC to Intel, now we're Intel to ARM, you know, Rosetta 2 is going to do that. And the funny thing is he said, there's even some applications where Rosetta 2 will be more performant than running like the ARM code or something <laughs> and then recompiling. I was like, how does that even make any sense? I don't understand. Um, just whatever their optimization is, is amazing, right? 
And then finally was basically about metal, I think, that he started to talk about, which was everything is really going to be powered by metal on the GPU and these new neural engines. Like Everything's going to be super fast, basically. Yeah, it's uh, they were really promoting metal to the point where they actually released a whole new developer video, not during WWDC times, which is usually when they release all their videos. They released a how to optimize for metal for this M1 chip Mm. and they walk through uh, the little fixes they've done. The metal API is good, but the metal API is only as good as the hardware that has to execute it. And they were constrained by certain architectural decisions, certain power envelopes, all that kind of stuff. Now they're saying um, that this new version of metal on this chip can run desktop class versions of metal because metal's metal, but there's, you know, <laughs> mobile metal and then desktop metal. You know, there, there's Makes different sense. options you want to set on different things. And I even noticed this in the app that I'm running right now, iCircuit 3D, uh, the shadows, the default shadow. If I turn that on in Mac, I get these really nice soft shadows. They're blended really lovely and all that stuff. You as a game developer are going to love this. I go over to iOS and they're all jaggedy. Mm. You know, no filtering, just jaggedy shadows. And that is specifically a hardware feature that is missing on uh, a lot of the iOS device implementations of Metal. But they say that M1 is just going to have this built in. So this is some real power. This is some real dedication to, well, you know, trying to get us all us developers to start using the GPU. Like, please, developers, start using the GPU. We've got we're giving you eight CPUs and eight GPUs. Please write multi-threaded code. Stop writing single-threaded code. <laughs> it's true. Well, they did talk about you know Photoshop and Lightroom and a bunch of other applications that are going to be upgraded. Games, you know, that are, do all this stuff. So they're really pushing it pretty heavily. And and you know, I think that the M1 chip is just the was part of it, right? And um, it's exciting that this is coming out. And I was more surprised though that it. I mean, this really turned into a consumer event quickly, which I think made some sense because then they focused on what does the SOC bring to not developers, but to you as the user, right? So the instant on, the extreme battery life. Um, they even said to the fact that these new computers use so much less power that you are actually saving the planet by buying one of these <laughs> machines, Frank. Um, they kind of, was- it's, it's kind of, they kind of said that. This was my argument for you giving up your plasma. Oh, I'm like, James, save, save the world. <laughs> Just throw that thing away. But uh, it's good, right? Don't we all want a 20-hour battery life on our devices? Like, I don't charge things. I hate charging things. It's true. There is that terrible um, coincidence that this wonderful mobile device is coming out during a pandemic, and I'm not traveling right now. So I'm not sure... If- I personally am going to go and rush out to buy one of these new laptops, but I'll tell you the next laptop I get is going to be this tiny low power thing because you had the MacBook adorable. Now this is an error. This isn't the adorable, but it doesn't look like it's too much bigger than your adorable was. And that looked like the perfect machine. The new air. So the air that was out previously was really big, but then they had the new air. And that's when they got rid of the MacBook, which is what I had. And the new MacBook Air was pretty much very similar to the same size as had more of the 
is more distinct, taper. more yeah. of a taper. But besides that, it was more powerful. It was like, you know, just a little bit more expensive, had all the, you know, all the power. But you're right. This thing's going to come out at $9.99, which is a great price point. And um, it's going to have, it's going to be the most powerful MacBook Air since they created the MacBook Air, Frank. And um, yeah, it might be the, it might be my next device too, because I'm, I'm really thinking like how much faster is it going to be for my 2013 MacBook Pro, which is the top, top end model. And, you know, when you, when you buy a device and you really get the top end one, it really lasts for a long time. I'm really noticing that. Like, you know, my MacBook, my MacBook Pro 13, like it's still a powerhouse, right? And I'm looking here. I was looking at my processor that's on my computer here um, that my buddy gave me. And it's, you know, five years old. But it was the when he bought it, it was the most expensive processor that you could get, you know, hundreds and hundreds of dollars. <laughs> I, I don't know why Jesse's so nice to me and gives me his <laughs> old computers um, and he builds them. But I was like, wow, like. At the same time that he bought this really amazing processor, I bought the, like the two hundred dollar processor, and it's like a night and day difference. I mean, this thing—it's—it's—it's it's, it's, again, it's like the fastest computer I've ever had in my life, and it's a six-year-old, five-year-old processor, right? But he bought the best motherboard, which means I could upgrade it. You—you you, you get the life out of it. So I'm really excited to see like what are they going to let you spec out on that MacBook Air or the MacBook Pro? Is it a MacBook Pro that there came out? Yeah, MacBook. Pro, yeah, right? It is. Yeah. yeah. And I was already pricing them out because I just had to know. Yeah. Uh, for me, if you do the kind of standard upgrades that you want, there's a little price downgrade if you get one less GPU core. I think that's like a choice between seven or eight GPU cores. But there aren't that many options. You get to choose the amount of RAM. But as far as I could tell, all the machines only went up to 16 gigs. So you're going to probably want to cap that out. Eight gigs really doesn't cut it these days. And then you're going to spend the rest of your money on a hard drive, which unfortunately I've learned when buying Apple hardware, you got to put that money up front because you run out of hard drive really fast. Yeah. So what I found was for me to buy a computer, I'd spend between 1400 1600 depending on whether I went with the Air or the Pro. I do appreciate that um, they have proper cursor keys now. Yeah. They got rid of those you know, bad kind of cursor keys. They are like half size left and right keys, which I don't love, but it's better than those full size left and right keys that make absolutely no sense. It has an escape key. Even the MacBook Pro one has an escape key. So it looks like the keyboards are all good to go. They've learned their lessons there. So I think you're just getting a fast little machine. The biggest downside, as I can see, is you're not getting an Intel, but the rest is wins. Everything else is just fine. Perfect. Well, what I like about this, I don't know if they'll do it for a long time, but I really like that the MacBook, like all three devices they announced, they announced a MacBook Air, MacBook Pro, and a Mac Mini. And they all run an M1 chip with eight core CPU, eight core <laughs> GPU, and up it's to- It's so clean. It's yeah. just so, like as a, as a product developer, they just must be smiling. They're like, look how clean our product line is. Fast forward three years, there's going to be 8 billion different M chips. But for now, it's nice and simple. There's the M1. It has eight-ish cores. <laughs> it's very true. And I mean, and that makes it easy, I think, as a consumer compared to an i3, an i5, an i7. What do I want? It's like, well, no, there's, this is what you get, right? You go buy one iPhone. That, that is what I appreciate about you. You buy one iPhone. It's like, man, you get they're all the same, right? Maybe there's RAM differences, but it's pretty much the same, um, especially this year's, right? I love the... the the pro versus the mini, um, the max, right? Like all very, very clean, 
Um, I love it. It's very Johnny Ives. Um, very clean product line. And, you know, I think that here's the thing. They are going to eventually replace every single Intel. And it, it, the transition, they said the transition has started, but like it's pretty full on. I mean, like you can't buy a MacBook Pro or a MacBook Air with an Intel chip anymore. They're gone. They're gone. The only thing they didn't release was an iMac. And you know they probably have one. They just didn't want to like replace the entire line right now. They didn't say like we're going to have this split line of computers. They're like, no, we're transitioning. And it's going to take about two years. And they said a couple of years, but I took that as two years. I'm like, yeah, okay, two years. Uh, okay, shots fired. Um, I don't have a problem with it. I don't use much software that is tied to Intel 64-bit. Mm-hmm. I think when we made the 32-bit, the 64-bit transition, that's kind of when we lost a lot of the old-fashioned software. People who weren't updating, you kind of lost that. And the fact that it's able to run Rosetta doesn't really matter. And then there's the huge benefit that we haven't even touched yet is this thing can run iOS apps. So it's you, true. You, you get access to like the largest and best app store on the planet. All those apps can run on your Mac now. How awesome of a machine is that? Yeah, it's, it's just it's mic drop. It's just like, oh, yeah, that awesome store that has millions of award winning apps. Although here, the one they are. The one thing we didn't get was a touchscreen, Frank. I know. I, you know, he, okay, there was a great moment when Federici, like, put on the romantic music and he started lifting the lid of the Mac. It, it was, usually their jokes don't hit, but that joke was perfect. Was that good. was awesome. Yeah. yeah. I thought that that was going to be a teaser for the touch, too. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> but it didn't happen. And I was so disappointed. I think I was on this, on the show and I said, uh, with a system on a chip, you throw in the touch controller. It's a tiny little piece of silicon so that you can interpret how that screen works. It's pretty much free. I don't know why they're not doing it. Um, I guess they don't want to crowd and confuse their product lines. But, okay, uh, cards on the table. This event made me love the iPad even more. Mm. <laughs> because... I've learned what I want out of a Mac is a big, powerful computer. So fine. If you can give me a big, powerful computer, that's great. But for the mobile stuff and all of that, I love my iPhone and I love my iPad. I love my touchscreens. I like that simplicity. And I'm not sure if I actually have a need for like a portable laptop. There's all these great IDEs that run on the iPad now and all that Mm -hmm. stuff. And it's a touchscreen. So I have a few mixed feelings like that. But the Mac mini form factor and in four or five years, maybe the iMac form factor are what I'll be interested in. I'm with you here. I mean, I have a surface go, I have a MacBook pro and you know, the reason I like a touchscreen on, on the, on the, even the surface go, even though it's not a very powerful machine at all is I'm browsing, I'm browsing the web, right? And I'm just, I'm right there and I'm scrolling up and I'm, I just want to tap on stuff really easily. I think that Apple will do it but I think it's going to take time. So their expectation is a multi-year process so that applications can upgrade, they can tweak the UI, they can make the buttons bigger when it's in touch mode, things like that, right? The, the small, tiny X and the little thing, they need to be big enough and they need people to optimize their app for tablet probably first to get the drag and drop. They're, it's a long game. So I could see really two years from now, three years from now, it's happening and we'll see. Maybe in two to three years, we'll see it happen. Maybe I'll be wrong, um, but I, I'm with you. You know, when I think about what I use, I barely use my laptops anymore. I have two of them sitting down over here, just like, I don't even want to turn them on. 
Um, because I have a desktop. Com- I'm sorry. I'm locked inside. <laughs> I'm locked inside. It gets dark at four o'clock, Frank. And I know. Um, oh, I also bought lights for holidays and I bought a, this is really cool. I bought a power thing that detects when dusk happens and then turn it itself on and then turns off after four years. Amazing. Anyways, I'm locked inside all the time, right? Maybe I'll go on a walk. Maybe I'll go on a bike ride. But it's cold. I can't even go outside. It's raining now. Like I can't even do anything. But you know what I like? I like my really big, powerful computer that I can literally do anything. Like I don't have to think about. There's no compromises on anything. And I know a lot of people will say, well, they'll buy a, um, they'll buy a MacBook Pro or they'll buy a Surface Book 2 and they'll plug it in, right? They're great devices, right? But at the same time, I've now lived the dream because you've lived it after you got your iMac uh, Pro is I hadn't had a really powerful computer. And like when I upgraded this thing, it's got, you know, a um, NAND, it's got the NAND flash SSD crazy PCIe chip on it. It's got, you know, 64 gigs of RAM. It's got like a super powerful processor. Like it's got a 980XG. Like it's so good, right? That at this point in my life, I'm not going to coffee shops and I'm not coding. Like that's the problem, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I, in, in the power computer world, I can't wait for the M four or two or whatever it'll be Yeah, when they have like the ridiculous 64 core version. Oh. Like that's going to oh, yeah. be when I'm just going to be like, you know, take my money because I oh, can't yeah. resist. Oh, but I want a big, <laughs> I want a big, you know, replace everything, replace this computer, everything. One big iMac pro, right? Yeah. big beautiful red display 64 core m18 processor like ooh, now we're talking right that's a new you know what you know what kept cracking me up in their uh demonstrations high production value and all that but there was some cognitive dissonance so there was this five thousand dollar xdr monitor that apple sells <laughs> next to a 700 hour computer i'm like so you bought the five thousand dollar monitor but spent 700 hours on that computer huh interesting decision making <laughs> it's true it's i couldn't true. resist I, I, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's very true so the mac mini does start at 700 dollars. macbook uh macbook air a thousand dollars macbook pro thirteen hundred dollars and yeah i think i'm with you i think i'm with you on the macbook air because it's the same processor right i guess can you get 32 gigs of ram on the no i think they all top out at 16 i kept trying that's disappointing yeah. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. 16 is fine. 32 <laughs> is where you're free, though. 32 is where you have, don't have to worry anymore. 64 is better. Oh, I'm kind of jealous there. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it is better. Um, well, because if you go to the MacBook Pro 16-inch, very fascinating that they didn't go to the 16-inch, only the 13-inch, right? The 16-inch, you still get the Intel processor. So that's a little muddy. That's a little not as much Johnny Ives in that one there. But if you go to the 16-inch, you can go up to 64 gigs of DDR4 memory. Oof. Is that with the M1? 64 no, with the M1? No, that's an no, Intel. right. Yeah, 16-inch right. yeah. Intel processor. Yeah, they must just not have the memory controller for it yet. I mean, Are you they going to build a big one? The, you can get a $7,000 laptop. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> well, I digress. Yeah. Even these M1s, you could easily get over two grand if you bought the um, the hard drive premium is real. Apple keeps charging for those hard drives, so it's easy to get these prices up. I'm not sure. I'm not sure if I'm if I'm in. I mean, I think I'm very fascinated that they did go all in. I think it's the right call. I am a little worried that like 
everybody getting a MacBook Air for the holidays is now getting an M1 chip. And I'm very curious how that plays out. Like, I hope that is great because everything they're saying is great at the end of the day. But is this M1 chip really like this is an early adopter chip? But like they went in, right? They, they're like, here's not just one. Like, you know, Microsoft, you know, they have the Surface uh, X, which is their ARM device. And they have one device and they're like, we're really going to nail it down and really, you know, the new one's way better. But this one, like, they're like, hey, this is our main, like the MacBook Air. That is probably the most popular selling MacBook in history. And they put it in it. Yeah. That's impressive. And the Mac Mini is the nerd's Mac. It's the Mac when you don't want to buy a Mac. That's the one that you get. Yeah, it's definitely gutsy. Um, I'm surprised, though. You used the DDK until you destroyed it out of hatred and malice. <laughs> you ran some software on there. Like, I did. I, I'm impressed at how good Rosetta is. Yes. And so, sure, there's an engineering part of me that says there's some fatal flaw and it's not going to be exposed until literally a million people are using this thing. But at the same time, gosh, it seems very rock solid. And I would feel comfortable recommending one to... Uh, non-technical family members, that kind of thing, because I feel like, you know, Apple's going to support it. The software we've ourselves have seen runs maybe a tiny bit slow if it's going through that translation layer, but it runs. Runs. So it's up to us as app developers to port our apps to this ARM64 processor. So it's good that .NET 5 is out because that was the first official support for ARM64 on Windows, right? But as far as I know, Apple has actually contributed some open source code to help along uh, Mono and .NET Core onto um, Apple Silicon. So Get it. hopefully we'll have that stuff up and running soon. Soon. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's going to take some time. So that's why I really think the next few years will be an exciting transition period. But we're in exciting times. .NET 5, Apple Silicon, it's all happening and it's already basically December. Oh my goodness. Well, thanks everyone for tuning into this week's Merge Conflict. You can, of course, go everywhere on the internet to find us at mergeconflict.fm. That is a website. You can go to it, www.mergeconflict.fm. Like, you know, like a news radio station, except for we're a podcast. So there's there and there's links. And you can also watch us live on Twitch at my twitch.tv slash James Montemagno. That's where I live code. And once a month, we live stream. And also Frank live streams on Friday at twitch.tv slash Frank Kruger. He's way better than me. So you should probably just watch him instead. But that's going to do it for this week's Merch Conflict. So until next time, I'm James Montemagno. And I'm Frank Kruger. Thanks for listening. Peace. <laughs>